Okay, we are live. Um, I'll add the splash sheet and all that later on. I'm a bit behind, I'm afraid, hence I'm starting three minutes late. So the YouTube version will be as snazzy and fantastic as normal. I was just keen to not let anybody um, give up as we are four minutes late. So welcome to uh, One Chat Live. We are at episode 38, which is um, actually the second in season two. Um, I just introduced a new season when the One Chat Live conference finished last year. And, um, yeah, hopefully last week you caught uh, Matt Fitzgerald, um, which was a fantastic way to start the year. And I can pretty much guarantee that it's not going to go down here from then. Uh, the next guest who I'm having today was particularly worried. Hey, evening to Mike James. Just saying hi. Thanks for joining us, mate. Look forward to hearing your input later on. Um, actually, we'll be talking about you in a second. Yeah, there's a connection, a big connection here. But anyway, so yes, uh, my next guest, I'm very excited. You might have wondered, who's he going to get after Matt Fitzgerald? Well, believe me, the next person who I'm going to bring on shortly um, is equally, if not more influential in terms of real-time running injury and prevention and putting evidence-based information out there. Um, first of all, I should say uh, thank you to my sponsors because sometimes I forget and that's just not um, the idea at all. So before I bring up the guests, let's just have a shout out for uh, Brighton Beard Company. Um, seems like every time I do a podcast, it's getting smaller, the beard, but it's still there. Um, it's just a wife and life kind of thing. I have to get a compromise, as any married man will know. But yeah, Brighton Beard Company is still very much sponsoring um, the uh, podcast. And uh, we do still have a 15% discount if you use the code RCL15, and then you will get 15% off any of their products. And um, I'm waiting, currently waiting for um, a new set myself of the Alfriston one, still my very much my favorite. If you've got a beard, you'll understand the smell is something which is just something beautiful you can put on and enjoy during the day. Even during runs, you can put it on and you just feel good about yourself. If you haven't got a beard, that'll sound very kind of weird and offbeat. And But if you've got a beard, you'll understand. So do check them out, www.brightonbeardcompany.co.uk and they're international as well, so wherever you are. Um, before I bring on my guest, I just want to say as well, uh, again, thanks to Matt Fitzgerald last week. Um, I've had some great emails. Thank you to those who have emailed me um, saying basically thank you for introducing them to the book. Life is a marathon is something else. Um, I'm with my kids and I'm still going down into the local kind of park and running into some runners and they're going, oh, hi, how's it going? It's great. Have you read Life is a Marathon? I'm just annoying the hell out of everyone I meet because it's such a great book if you're a runner, but also if you've got any kind of sense of altruism in you and you like knowing about people's struggles and and appreciating the struggles that people go through to try and kind of educate yourself, then this book is something else. Um, audible, buy it, look at it. It will change most of you. It will change your lives um, in, in, in a good way of understanding the struggles that Matt's been through with his wife, Nataki, and how they've come out the other end. There's still problems um, with her bipolar disorder, but it's a great read. So do do that. And obviously the podcast is still there. Um, the interview I did with the Matt is still up on YouTube. So do check it out. Conferences, the um, recordings are still being sold, which is fantastic to me. They're like 26 odd pounds or something for uh, an hour presentation. Ian Griffiths seems to be at the top of the leaderboard. People are still very keen to get their hands on Ian. Um, so yeah, they're still available at the website. So I'm just going to let you know that, uh, yeah, go to www.runchatlive.com. And you can listen to the all 10 plus the two question times of last year's Runchat Live conference. And you can also get your hands on lovely me on a T-shirt. 
um, if you want to support the podcast, and that's great. Um, we've got the lovely Courtney there, Dr. Courtney from uh, GateHappens.com, who is, I'm still going to use her because I think it's just such a great little image there of her opening up the present and putting it on. So thanks, Courtney. Um, so they're still available as well. Right, blurb out of the way. Let's just say hello to Terry as well, Terry Vaughan. Um, nice to see you. Thank you for coming in uh, this evening, Terry. I hope you're very well. What have we got for you today? Well, let's just put this on screen first of all, and I'll, live, I'll put this lovely photo up there whilst I'm talking. Um, I'm going to bring you and introduce some of you to Dr. Kevin Maggs, um, who is going to talk about load and capacity model, because it's something that's so important, I believe, for runners and clinicians um, in the not the war against injury, but understanding how you can reduce um, the risk of injury, understanding how clinicians should assess when people come in in pain, understanding how to manage uh, pain or, and or injury, um, and also links with performance as well. So it's a fantastic concept which clinicians have often got the challenge of being able to explain to runners, and runners have got the challenge of staying tuned in because it is a little bit of listening and understanding. It's not as easy as lying down, just having someone give you a rub. There's a little bit more to it. But we know that that is the case if you want to reduce injury risk and uh, deal with injury and pain. So very look for, looking forward to bringing him up. Um, and I'm just going to check there's nothing else. I'm glad Mike James is in the room because, like I said, I think I tweeted out a while ago, if I'd had an 11 spit, not to say he couldn't come. I'm not saying if I'd had wanted another speaker after choosing 10, it would have been Dr. Mags. I wanted him there from the beginning, but he wasn't able to make it. So probably because I didn't give enough notice. But if there had been another speaker at uh, the conference, then it would definitely have been Dr. Kevin Mags. And he was honoured such at the end by Mike James, who was one of the speakers, um, with a quote there um, supporting the idea of strength training, which is great. And I think everyone I know loves um, the way he put this together. Um, so uh, very good to have him in person. So without further ado, I will put this back down there. And I will bring up, and we can all say hello to Dr. Kevin Max. There we go. Hey. Dr. Max. Hey. It's good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. I, uh, the guests that you've had on this podcast, I was, uh, was wondering why you wanted little old me on here, but it's an honor. Well, you've just answered my question because modesty is something which I'm always um, kind of like tuned into. I love people who are great, who I think are great, but also got that little tweak of modesty. So you've answered your own question. <laughs> you're, you're a great person and you're modest. Um, so thank you very much. You, where are you at the moment? In uh, Virginia, in the US. Fantastic. That's nice as well. Born yeah. um, in uh, Canada and then moved here. That's right. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts in Canada was it? Whereabouts were you born? In Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, I uh, I went to my undergrad was at University of Waterloo with uh, Stu McGill was my biomechanics professor when he was a nobody. Yeah, nobody yeah, knew yeah. who he was, and uh, yeah, so that's where I learned about biomechanics. Indeed, and does that mean you've got a tie-in with because you've worked with Greg Lehman in the back, also worked with Stu McGill? What was the kind? Of I mean, I never worked with Stu. He was my professor. Greg worked yeah. with Stu, uh, right. as far as I know, but um, me and Greg worked. Uh, together a tiny bit because he worked for the running clinic exactly uh, the, the group that i teach for now but then he got too big for it and he went off on his own that was another reason your name was kind of being um 
mentioned quite a lot at the conference because JF was obviously there, which was fantastic. Right. JF yeah, to speak. Yeah. So there's the link with JF um, and, um, and Mike mentioning you. So yeah, you were mentioned quite a lot at the conference, I think. That's why I say you were practically there in person. <laughs> it was good. That's <laughs> good to hear. So I do hope that it took people to your webpage. Talking of, of you and the history and people getting to know about you, I realized today that I've actually followed you for seven years, which made me realize how old I am. But it was um, it was back in, let's bring this up here. I suppose I have to reciprocate that then. That means, no, uh, I that think means you, I'm old too. I think you wrote this when you were 12 or something, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you were very ahead of your time. But it was um, something which personally I use still, especially when I'm teaching massage um, and kind of early sports therapy because it was such a great introduction. I believe it was ahead of its time. It's such a great introduction to anybody who wants to kind of just introduce the idea of, of, of it's not all about structure. We can't expect people to always, we shouldn't expect people to, to squat with their knees in line with their toes. And if we see someone with their knees out doing a kind of a bit of a Liam Gallagher walk, then it doesn't mean, do you know Liam Gallagher? I don't. That reference was totally lost on you. No. Uh, no, it's amazing that someone doesn't know Liam Gallagher. There's a little band called Oasis here in the UK, which were quite famous. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And Liam is one of the Mank brothers who kind of walks with his knees facing out. I haven't done the Craig's test on him. I don't know whether he just walks out to look like a geezer, but he's a good example of somebody whose knees are always out. So um, just to open that up, imagine that people are listening to this podcast because we do try to appeal to, to runners and, and clinicians who are quite new to the profession. What was that all about, the Craig's test and the video you made kind of seven years ago? So, so the, the name of that website is called Running Reform and, and that's, uh, that actually dates back I think to 2000, not that particular post, but the website dates back to 2009-ish. Wow. I was working for uh, this triathlon company called Rev3 and it was like, uh, I was basically hired to, to treat all the pros and travel around the country treating all the pros and some, uh, some age group athletes. And uh, every time someone would come in, you know, they would have this chronic running injury. And one of the questions I would have was, you know, has anybody watched you run? And the answer typically is, you know, I went to a running shoe store and they, you know, they did the whole treadmill thing for the shoes. But that was about it. And so I thought, you know, somebody has to get gate analysis out for the masses. So I started this website called Running Reform where people could submit videos and a, and a brief history of their injury and schedule a time and then they would log into my computer we would watch the video together I would tell them what's going on with their gait give them some exercises to do and and they'd be on their way but I obviously became pretty disillusioned with that quickly because it's it's pretty hard to do a gait analysis when you don't know what their structure originally is like if they have moral antiversion or something and they have a dynamic knee valgus is that because of structure or is that because of function? Like it's, it's next to impossible to know. Plus the fact that, you know, somebody has lateral knee pain and they say, oh, I have IT band problems. It could be a stress fracture. It could be a meniscus. It could be patellofemoral. It could be a nerve entrapment. Like you have no idea. And you're telling them what to do based on what they told you it was. So I quickly bailed on that idea of doing an online gait analysis. But this was one of the articles that that sort of spurred that on is like you can't you can't really tell how people are supposed to move if you don't do an exam on them as you know 
So and it's not just they... femoral antiversion, you know, it could be tibial torsion or, you know, forefoot varus or whatever. I mean, the structure is going to dictate a lot of how we function. So I'm sure there's, just to put some kind of an idea of, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people still out there. I'd say probably 80% of people who go to personal trainers without having to go to personal trainers who are still being told your knees have to be over your feet when you squat. Right. And that's the yeah. kind of take-home message from this. And that will, if anyone's listening to this podcast and, and we say, you know what, you might be one of these people whose knees shouldn't be over your toes. It might be perfectly natural for them to kind of either rotate out or rotate inwards. What's the reason for that? What is the structural phenomenon which you were talking about, which could mean that it's perfectly normal for your knees not to point in line with your toes? Right. So, so the idea is, I mean, that, that that's kind of the way we grow, right? Like our, our tibia could grow with some rotation. The femur could grow with a little bit of antiversion or retroversion. In other words, the femoral neck, if there's any therapist watching, they know that it could be angled forward or backward. And that's going to dictate whether your toe and your knee are going to point outward a little bit. And that's just natural. And if somebody tells you you should squat with your knee forward, you have to rotate your leg probably out of the central part of the, of the joint to get it to get straight. And then you're putting yourself at risk for an injury simply to make somebody happy, to make them aligned. You know, so and, what and could we don't necessarily all have to be aligned. What could be some of the repercussions of somebody who's been told, for example, by their therapist or or personal trainer to get those knees in line with the toes if they are if they have got a different shape like you say femoral neck and and they're naturally not supposed to be in alignment what would be a potential kind of symptom of forcing that alignment yeah you're just going to place abnormal stress on whatever joint you're you're rotating to get in there so the example that i used which was a real example on that blog post that accompanied that video it was uh, a triathlete a cyclist who was coming in with hip pain because when she was pedaling, her knee was coming in close to the center tube, and uh, she went to get a bike fitting, and they said, well, that's not good. You can't have your knee go in. That's because, uh, you know, your, your foot is off. So they gave her a, a medial wedge in the shoe to force her knee out, and then she developed hip pain because of it. Uh, when, you know, that was her knee going in was the natural movement for her hip, and somebody was forcing her out of it. You know, which which actually dovetails into the whole topic of what we're talking about today, the load capacity thing. Like somebody wanted to, to throw a biomechanical diagnosis at her when that really wasn't the original cause of why she was having pain. She was just the load that she was applying on the bike was exceeding the capacity because she had a training error. But they threw a biomechanical fix where it wasn't really deserving. And then they created problems. It's a great, I mean, I think also there's some nice photos on YouTube showing that just the variety you can have of um, the femoral head and, and like you say it could be um, the technical terms if you're a new therapist don't get worried about it too much but you basically can have the 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 neck pointing so that it sits inside your hip socket just at a different angle so it's, it's going to knock everything out of sync not everybody has most people you could argue do but what we know about anatomy is you can't really go by most just as important as the person who's going to have naturally knees pointing in i think it's interesting as well those of you who have grown up or maybe still tell your kids or were told as a kid that if you sit in that w position then you need to put braces on or you need exercises you've got to pick them up because you're gonna i think well the w position what's your comment on that how does that link in with it kevin right so as the as the bone is developing and they're sitting there you know if, if you can imagine like a, a little kid sitting on the ground 
with their legs pointing forward, but their knees bent and their feet out to the side. That sort of forms that W. And it forces the, the femur, the thigh bone, to be internally rotated chronically, and then the bone starts to grow like that. And so then they get this femoral antiversion. But, I mean, it could be femoral antiversion. It could be acetabular antiversion. It can have all sorts of anatomic variances. There's, there's certainly a lot of research as far as, like, even in the upper extremity, if, if somebody grows up throwing a ball a lot, like, and they're right-handed, there's going to be more external rotation available on their throwing hand compared to the other hand, but there's going to be less internal rotation in that shoulder because the, the humerus grows with a twist because they're always throwing with the shoulder in external rotation. It's just an adaptation to, to the mechanical load that you're applying to it as your bones are growing. Definitely. So there you it's go. Not, it's, it's not pathologic is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good opener. For, again, for people who, <clears throat> for runners, not just runners, any sports people who have been told different, who are receiving therapy on the basis that everything needs to be in alignment, right. um, then it's just, there's, there's a red flag there, basically. If your therapist is currently telling you this pain is because you're not in alignment, unless you're a powerlifter or a weightlifter or something like that where you are taking massive forces, I think the evidence is there. But if it's talking about everyday life and not massive forces, you need to be a bit wary of someone who explains everything down to and that, that's some of the difference that we have to keep into account when we talk about runners right is it's high repetition low load so these these biomechanical variances and anatomic variances don't seem to matter as much as other sports i know since mike james is paying attention on this podcast that uh, he he did a great job of mentioning that you know in his talk regarding strength training like there's there's that good review lawrence i think where it was you know 50 percent reduction in overuse injuries uh, through strength training, and but that's in other sports. When you look at running, uh, strength training and strength, like the 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 existence of strength in runners, doesn't seem to vaccinate you against injury at all. And so, you know, we have to be careful what we're talking about when we look at these at these it's, papers. I think the that paper in particular is yeah. I mean, it caught me. I was very keen. I jumped on the bandwagon for a while. I think most therapists did quoting it as C strength duration reducing injuries by 50%. Yeah. Or, and like, but it's healthy. That's what happens. And none of us are kind of embarrassed or disappeared. We're still all here quoting right. papers, but we're knowing that, you know what, in a year's time, we might be retracting that statement a little bit. Yeah. Happens, well, there's it? a little confirmation bias probably. Yeah. I mean, it happens, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, we're still doing it and long may it go on because it shows we're keeping in touch with research and we get a bit excited by it. So, um, yeah, it's totally normal. Um, Kevin, you've got Christopher Johnson in the room. Christopher Johnson, is a very that. busy man. So yeah. Yeah, there you go. He didn't come in for Matt Fitzgerald. He came in for <laughs> Kevin Max. <laughs> nice to see you, Chris. Yeah, there you go. And also a shout out to Chris Kitson, the other Chris as well, who's uh, great to see yeah. you, Chris. Looking forward to getting Chris is a great um, therapist from the UK um, who um, I definitely want to get on the podcast for someone who's setting up. I see him as the modern therapist. Um, he's got the movement hub in the UK yeah, and posts these videos. Podcast. Have you seen it? Oh, it's, it's just mm -hmm. great. I can't wait to have him on here because he has everyday people doing exercises, which are just really, really good stuff. Well, so, yeah. younger than you and I. Oh, gee. Well, he's one of these I think he's actually about 90, but he's got this baby face because he's got children and everything. You know, yeah. he's had sex, but he just looks like somebody. <laughs> he just looks like somebody who's kind of eternally going to be 15 years old. Right, but, right. Um, but yeah, really, 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 really nice play. So. Right. Um, so, yes, the Craig, Craig's test. And 
so you've done it again i mean you've done it a lot of times but what brought us on to today is this time in bjsm you had a fantastic article based on a video you did about loading capacity uh, yeah. which is something that's been um, welcomed i think heavily um, and uh, that's why you're on today to talk about that um, do you want to kind of introduce that piece and what sure. was yeah i mean i think we have to keep in mind it wasn't my idea like the, i didn't come up with this i'm, mm -hmm. I'm standing on the shoulders of all these other researchers who have Definitely. put all this together but you know the idea is is, is you know I'm, I'm getting a little tired of patients coming in telling me that you know they're out of alignment or they're or their uh you know their leg length is off or they over pronate or their sacrum is out of place you know these types of things and, and that you know injury and pain don't really come down to that it's more of this load capacity relationship and so what I explain to my patients is is fairly simple I, I say you know every tissue has a capacity so let's say somebody comes in with like a knee pain let's say your knee tissues have a certain capacity and if you apply a load that's significantly greater than that capacity you have a higher risk of injury it's not automatic like injury risk doesn't equal injury rate but you have a higher risk of injury and what we want to do is apply that load greater than the capacity in a way that gives it time for the capacity to adapt. So if you give your body time to adapt, it's totally okay to increase the load beyond the capacity, but we have to do it in a way that gives the body time to adapt. And if you do it too quickly, then you have a higher risk of getting injured. So on that load side, some people would call it the external load. We're talking about, you know, your, your running volume, uh, the running frequency, the running intensity, uh, if you've changed footwear acutely, I mean, that's a change in the load. Um, if you've added hill work, those types of things, training aspects are the external load. If you want to, like, if you read in runner's world that a forefoot strike is better than a rear foot strike, and all of a sudden you switch, you switch your running technique, that's a change in the external load. So you're going to apply a load to tissues that aren't used to it at a faster rate than your body could adapt, and you have a higher risk of getting injured. And so I go through that with my patients and I, you know, the first thing that I'll do when they complain of an injury is ask them about any changes in this external load. Oftentimes they say, no, everything's fine. I didn't change a thing with any of those things. Sometimes you have to really dig deep to find out because they don't, they don't really recognize that they've changed something. But if everything's fine, then you, you know, you have to look at the internal load because we have lots of papers that show that these things like stress, like psychologic stress, uh, sleep, medications, right, like uh, Cipro, statins, uh, you know, corticosteroids are all tenotoxic. They'll affect the tendon, so what medications they're on. Um, all these internal capacity aspects play a big role in injury because every time you go to run, you sort of tear apart the tissue a little bit, just a little bit, and then your body recovers it, and it, it heals it, and it makes it stronger. But if your ability to recover is hampered because you're stressed out, you know, because you're not sleeping well, because you're ill, because you have diabetes, whatever, there's a lot of different factors. We can get into all the different factors on the, on the, on the capacity side. There's still that imbalance where your capacity is dropped because you're stressed out and you're not sleeping well, and that is a risk factor for getting injured. And so... In its simple terms, it's just load capacity, and people think, oh, that's very, very basic, and it is, and I think it's an easy way to explain it to patients. 
But as a clinician, you sort of have to get into the details of, of everything. We can go through some examples today. That so that's, like. I just want to break that down a little bit because, again, I think which I, I mentioned it off air, like one of the challenges, one of the goals of the podcast and the conference is it's often difficult for even clinicians, once they understand and, and they've got a grasp of this, to explain it to the runner who's probably not interested, who would much prefer to go down the road and have someone stick needles in them and just lie down for half an hour and that's it mm-hmm. runners don't really want to be educated they don't think they're paying you money to go to school it's kind of so how would you you mentioned for example external load and internal load how would you break that up in layman's terms to a runner and and yeah i don't mention interested? i don't say internal load and external load to patients. so what would you say, use i yeah. just say load and capacity and i say like if you have a string and you attach a weight to that string it's going to hold it but if you apply a big enough weight, that string is ultimately going to fail. And that's what's happening to some of the tissues. It, like on a micro injury scale, you've applied too much load. There wasn't enough capacity in the tissue to take that load. And as a result, you know, you have, a, you have an injury. But what I don't want to get into is the path of, you know, telling them that they run wrong or telling them that they have shoes that aren't right for them or, you know, these things that, that could take you down the wrong path. You know, for example, last week I, I had a, a 17-year-old girl come in. I saw her for a femoral neck stress fracture two years ago, right? She was 15 at the time. And we confirmed it on MRI. It was a femoral neck stress fracture. And then she came into me again. She tells me she had a tibial stress fracture since I've seen her last. And now she's got pain in the foot. So she's probably got a navicular stress fracture. We're sort of waiting on the MRI right now. And we can go down the path of, oh, you're training poorly or you're not wearing the right shoes or you're not strong enough or, you know, whatever we want to do. But the reality is I got into the capacity side and I started asking, okay, what is your diet like? You know, oh, I have a little granola bar in the morning. I have a little salad at, at lunch and that's it. So we're, we're getting into the REDS idea, which – for the people who don't know, it's relative energy deficiency syndrome, where she's not her caloric intake isn't matching her caloric expenditure, and as a result, her body's hormones are screwed up. So I said, you know, you know, seventeen-year-old girls don't like to talk to dudes about this, but you know, how often are you getting your period? Oh, once every seven or eight weeks. Okay, so let me well, just—I'm just, just going to cut in a sec. This is a really good example and really topical, and and it's good. I just want to check. Did you say you saw her two years ago for stress fracture as well? For more on neck stress fracture. Yeah. yeah, and was there? Did you have this education with her then? Were you checking about diet and? I didn't back then, to be honest. Right. Uh, I don't think I talked to her about it back then. I yeah, saw yeah. her once. Okay. Uh, I did. Uh, I don't know if you. Whatever. I, the the pubic patellar percussion test. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It kind of showed that there was a problem in the bone. So I, we got okay. an MRI, and and her mother emailed me, and she said, "Yeah, it's a femoral stress fracture." And I said, "Okay, well, you got to go to an orthopedic surgeon because." A femoral neck stress fracture is a high-risk bone stress fracture. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was just like, go to an orthopedic. Oh, uh, fair enough. You know, we're done. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I was just going to say, because it would be interesting to know whether it was an example of a patient who comes to see you and you you think you've educated them, because obviously with a stress fracture, someone of that age now we're all clued up and we know, right, we look at the diet, especially if you're 15, you're a girl, let's check out all these things. And she'd come back and had ignored you, because that sometimes happens yeah. with patients, doesn't it? You educate it. Right. Um, but but to your yeah. question about what do I say to patients, I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think if you explain things to them in a way that look at 
you, you just did too much. You know, you ramped up, you did a, a couch to marathon program, you know, in four months that was silly. You exceeded the capacity of the tissue or you switched your gait too quickly. If, if anything, I know you're saying that patients don't want to be educated. I think in a situation like that, it's also, it's, it's a bit reassuring to patients to know that they don't run wrong because a lot of people will come in and they, and they have the idea that they run wrong. And, and if you can reassure them that, no, you don't run wrong, you just made this mistake, let's rehab it, and you're going to get back out, but now you're going to have the knowledge that you should have had before to not let this happen again. Because if you don't, it's great for your practice because they're going to get injured again and they're going to come back and you're going to, you're going to be very busy, but it's not very good for the patient. Mm. You know, so it's, I think it's important that, that you sort of drive that point home. And how about, because um, often the ex runners are pretty good these days at focusing on the external load. Not enough of it, but they're good at, for example, clocking up Strava, tell them how many kilometers. So like you say, some runners believe that they're not having any spikes, that they're just using, you know, increasing the distance or the frequency intensity gently. But then you start looking at the internal loads and you realize that there has been a spike because, I don't know, they've been, went to someone's birthday party and got absolutely obliterated and then tried to continue where they left off. But I find in my practice, it's tricky sometimes explaining to patients or runners that the internal, often it's the internal load which is making all the difference because they're not monitoring it. Yeah. So do you find that there's a bit of a... Of a yeah, kind of, yeah. and to be honest, I think I, I steal a little bit from Derek on that one, Derek Griffin. I mean, he's, uh, he's really good at... I mean, he did a great job in, the, uh, in your RCL conference which was incredible, by the way. Congrats. Thank you very much. I'll be there next year, hopefully, this year, hopefully. You know, like explaining about, you know, okay, my, my neighbor who's 40 just had a heart attack, but that's understandable because he's under a lot of stress. And people, people get that understanding of, you know, a physical manifestation of a psychological stress in the form of a heart attack, right? Or people understand it in terms of like, Oh, I got sick. My my husband didn't. I did because I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was I was stressed out at work, and so my immune system was down, and I got sick. You know, and and so why why don't people understand the idea that if they're not sleeping well and they're not and they're stressed out, and their diet is like crap, that it can manifest as a physical injury in running. And I, I think if you explain it in those terms. A lot of people do sort of nod their head and they say, yeah, okay, I get it. That's my experience. I you find a different experience on that? No, that's really good. I'm just enjoying Was it Derek who said that? You compared it to the heart I think attack? so, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I must have been dealing with something else going on there. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's really good. That's a really nice. I think that would be a little pearl of wisdom for a lot of people listening to that because people do understand stress and you have a heart attack. So why don't people understand that stress can also affect uh, running injuries i like yeah, that yeah and and you know if different people learn different ways right like that's one of the reasons why i make those videos is because a lot of people are visual learners mm. you can use examples like that and some people don't really respond to either of those so you can easily pull up uh the nosbaum article showing that stress uh is linked with running injuries um Luana Main had a good paper a few years ago, I think it was in 2010, on triathletes, where what she did is, uh, is tracked triathletes for a year and tracked their training load 
And if there was a spike in the training load, there was a spike in injuries. Duh, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all know that. But she also had them fill out psychologic questionnaires every week. I think it was the POMS. It might have been the MTDS. I'm not sure. But some sort of like questionnaire measuring, you know, their psychologic and, yeah. and life load every week. And when there was a spike in that, that correlated to injury with a stronger correlation than, than the increase in training load did. So the psychologic stress had a bigger influence on yeah, injury yeah. Than, than the training load. And so, you know, you can pull up studies too. So there's different ways of getting across to, to different people, either visually with like the, the, the video or case examples or, or research. There's a lot of different ways to, to get across. I think it's, well, I don't know if it's finally happening. There's definitely more research coming out now and people talking about it in our bubble in our little echo chamber where they are right. putting together better quality ways of monitoring load on there to include the internal load and everything and like you say psychological profiles and that how much do you think it can translate to i mean how much we now know that it's probably not enough for a runner just to look at strava and think that they're not increasing or causing any spikes in load what else can a runner do if they really want to try and reduce the risk of injury that's the dilemma um, isn't it well that's why you're on the show mate step up so there's so there's different ways right so you can you can you certainly i think obviously it's advisable to look at strava you know for me when a runner comes in a serious runner like a marathoner uh comes in and i say okay you know let me look at your training plan and they're like i don't have a training plan that's a that's a bit of a red flag right away for me. Yeah, you know, but a lot of people are on on Strava and they're on um, God, I can't remember the what's the one that Matt Fitzgerald does training plans on. I don't know why I'm twenty eight years. What's that? Uh, training 20, peaks. Yeah, training peaks. That's one. Yeah. Uh, so you know that's one way. So to monitor the internal load, it's difficult. You, the, you can like in in like big professional sports they can do objective tests like uh like salivary tests for cortisol and you can do you know immune tests and whatnot um there was a good paper by anna saw a couple years ago that looked at questionnaires you know the palms the dalda the mtds and looked at all these questionnaires and compared it to the objective ways of doing it by doing blood markers and the questionnaires were actually better so I, I would default to that. Obviously, you know, your everyday recreational runner isn't going to be doing blood work. So you can do these questionnaires. The problem with that is compliance. You know, to fill out these questionnaires, like some of them are like 70, 80 questions long, and you got to fill that out every week. It, you know, becomes a little tedious. So, you know, that's one way of doing it. And then another way, I think not the perfect way but the better way as far as i'm concerned is probably looking at uh, heart rate variability there's a lot of good apps out there that that you can do that with um uh hrv for training is a good one that i use not sponsored by them i'm not mentioning that for for any reason uh i use it occasionally you know but it's not going to cover everything mm -hmm. you know but but the hrv stuff i think is is probably the easiest and uh probably the, you get the most compliance with because it's a simple thing. You just stick your finger on the, uh, on the camera, on the phone with the light, and it measures your heart rate. And if anybody's watching and they don't know what, what HRV is, it's heart rate variability. So it's not your heart rate. It's the variability in your heart rate. So if you have like 60 beats per minute of a heart rate 
it's not like your heart beats every second. It's going to be maybe 1.02 seconds and then 0.8 seconds and then 1.2 seconds. There's a bit of variability in the heart rate. And when you look at that, if there's a high variability in your heart rate, it's a measurement of your autonomic nervous system. And if there's a high rate of variability, that's a good thing. That means that your, your parasympathetic system, which is the part of your nervous system that's really involved in rest and recovery, is very active. So that's a good time to maybe increase your training a little bit because, you know, theoretically your body's in a state where it's in good recovery. Um, if your heart rate variability is low, then that's not, not a great time to really push the training and the intensity very much. But it's not perfect. You know, it's really, like, it, it doesn't take into account, let's say you already have pre-existing arthritis, you know, that leaves you a bit, bit vulnerable. Let's say you have some obesity. That, you know, that's a risk factor. That's one of those ones on the capacity side. Um, there's a lot of different examples that I could come up with with factors that it doesn't measure, but it's a beginning point. I, you know, Kama Damstead came out with that paper about a year ago with uh, Rasmus Nielsen and Laura Malisu saying that we don't have enough evidence to say that spikes in training correlate with injury rates with runners. You know, and I think it's one thing to say we don't have enough research, which is different than saying it's not true. Mm. You know, we, we, can, we can certainly say that there isn't enough research yet, but I don't think we ever will have enough research because in that paper, all they were doing was looking at the external load. They weren't looking at anything but the internal load. Mm. And I don't think there's any app or any questionnaire that can account for every bit of capacity. But you can do your best, I think, on the heart rate variability aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How about, I mean, there's the rate of perceived exertion. So that's used quite a lot, isn't it, to kind of make um, approximations of, of, of how your capacity is and how much internal load you're using. So in other words, I've just found that being a dad, I've just found a half-finished yogurt. I've just <laughs> stepped on that. That is currently people all over my feet. For those of you who just listened to the podcast, my toes are bathed in strawberry-flavored uh, uh, fuser yogurt so that's why i'm going to be just rubbing my foot slightly for a while there we go too much information but anyway yeah rate of perceived exertion i think that's something i mean i've always naturally i don't know what it is but i've always at the end of a run i think they ask you on a lot of these apps how did it feel i think that's often more important than the distance you did and the speed you ran out because yep. how you feel is a bit of an indication of maybe how you know how maybe that variability is happening if you have not been sleeping that well or you have been not, you know, getting enough nutrition and that right. you're probably going to feel worse. Is that something you work with your runners much of getting them? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with, you know, Steven Seiler and, and Matt Fitzgerald on the 80-20 aspect of it. I think, you know, 80% of your runs should be at, at low intensity. Mm -hmm. And so then the, the natural question that follows that is, how do I know if I'm – you know, below my aerobic threshold in in zone one or two, if you're looking at a five-zone scale, how do I know that I'm below that, right? Because that's where 80% of your runs should be. And I don't think you need to go get VO2 max testing to do that because, you know, if you go get VO2 max testing and they say, okay, this is the heart rate you need to be at to be at below your aerobic threshold, as you just pointed out, day-to-day -day variability is going to be huge with that, depending on your sleep and your diet and your stress and, and all the rest of that. So I think it's kind of a, a, a bit of a waste of time. You can certainly go by heart rate, but 
I think the easiest way to do it is just by breathing. If you can just monitor your breathing and stay at a rate of exertion when you're running that you can, you know, sing a song, say the alphabet out loud, those types of things, that's going to dictate your speed. Mm. And and if you're like if let, let's say you look at the heart rate variability and you're very low, so in other words, you're very stressed out. I can almost guarantee when you go out and run that day, if you watch your breathing and st- and stay married to your breathing below that level, you're probably going to be running at a lower pace. Mm. You kind of have to ignore the pace and pay attention to your breathing more. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas other days, you go out for a run and you feel fantastic. You know, and, and and you're running way faster than you normally do, but yet your breathing rate is low. And I think that's probably an easy way to to figure out your RPE. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, but I think sometimes it's underrated. I think people should want. To, I've always thought, as a runner, the better you are at listening to your body, the and that is difficult to prove, but the, probably the better you'll be at reducing risk of injury. Some, there's got to be a link because if you can tell if you're out there and it's just not feeling quite right and you haven't quite got that, um, you might not be able to explain why, but probably there's a factor which you haven't noticed or you've overlooked in the internal lobes. Exactly. Um, and being able to note that, I think it was Mike James actually, I think he got slammed on Twitter the other day and kind of drop kicked in the face because he's training for MDS at the moment. And mm-hmm. he dared to say that he turned a 16-mile run into a 10-mile run because he was just feeling, um, you know, he had other factors. And people were going – and he said that there's no point doing junk miles if, he's, if, if it's not fitting in and he's prepared to change his – Mike, if you're listening there, then you might want to comment on this. But um, and he got slammed by people saying there's no such thing as junk miles. Every single mile is important. It's just blah, 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 blah. But he was basically right. saying you've got to go by how you feel. Rather than, right. Because if not, you're increasing the risk of injury. You know, exactly. It's your body. Um, yeah. yeah, he got slammed by it. And he, he actually, in the end, he just said, mate, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Thanks for interacting. <laughs> That's Twitter for you. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, golly. If it's not that, it's somebody chirping about politics. And it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. here for clinical stuff. I don't want to hear about your politics. You pulled out of yeah. Twitter for a while, didn't you? I think probably for that I reason. I did, yeah. I got frustrated yeah, yeah. with the... Uh, with, uh, the hostility. Yeah, but you came back. I did. I came back today. <laughs> you came back today, didn't you? With your yeah, uh, your bit on the thousand marathons. That was interesting as well. Mention that actually. Bring that post up. What did you post today? And uh, it was just a it was just a paper that came out that said uh, that there's they looked at six different runners and did MRIs of their knees and they looked at them subjectively and there wasn't any knee pain on these people and there wasn't any observance of these signs of arthritis in their knees in these six people. And you're thinking, well, why did they look at these six people? And it's because these six people had each run over a thousand marathons each. <laughs> it's like, I don't know where you get, how do you recruit people for that study? It's, uh, that's it's pretty wild. You gotta one. search high and wide to find that one. But that kind of, that's like you said, that's tied into what we're talking about today, isn't it? It's kind of like, you can't Could you imagine the capacity of those people. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so hold it there for me. Let's. You've mentioned capacity a few times. Um, again, with the idea of potentially the runner or the younger therapist, talk to me about capacity because what is it that, I mean, makes a marathon far less of a risk in terms of load for one runner that for another one it's kind of – why can't you say that a marathon is a difficult race for every single runner? Yeah, it, the, the, again – there's so many different factors that go into it. You can't really sum it up in one sentence. There's so mm. many different things. Like, you know, I mean, one of the biggest factors with 
arthritis is just genetics, right? I mean, we know there's modifiable factors as far as obesity and exercise and whatnot, but it, it remains that the unmodifiable one is your genetics. And so there's a lot that, that goes on with that. So you never really know why things are going on with, with people, but you really have to, from, from my point of view as a clinician, you have to dig. You know, my, my first appointment with people is generally 45 minutes to an hour, and the vast majority of it, 80% of it, is, is talking. To, to the patients, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. if we want another example, I had, I had a lady come in um, a few years ago with knee pain and she was really frustrated. She, she had been out of running for a couple of years. Every time she tried to come back, she had knee pain. And we took sort of a comprehensive look at her, at her training plans, her biomechanics, her shoes, you know, everything. And we gradually got her back to running to the point where she was consistently running 40 miles a week, no problem. And then she came back to me about uh, six weeks ago with trochanteric pain syndrome, so a tendon problem on the outside of her hip, which we know is really vulnerable to compressive loads, right? And I went through, I, we, she, she was like, I didn't change anything. I know you were going to go with this. I know you're going to ask me what I changed. I didn't change anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was talking about the training, right? So we went through it anyway, and I agree, she didn't change anything. And then I was like, okay, how are you sleeping? How's your diet? How's your stress level? Oh, uh, we've lost Kevin Maggs halfway during that story. He's just literally disappeared. Is it just Kevin or are you? Oh, he's back again. Hold on. Uh, we haven't got a camera for him yet. Kevin, I haven't got a camera for you at the moment. Yes, we have now. And he's, yeah, I'm just going to bring you back. You're back in, mate. We lost you for a second. I don't know what the heck that was. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know where you lost me. But anyway, so, so we went Yeah, she was basically saying, I haven't load. changed anything. I know what you're going to tell me, which is always yeah, nice. Yeah, internal load was fine. She was yeah. like, you know, I got divorced a few months ago. It was a really crappy marriage. I'm really happy now. I got my own place. I couldn't be happier. I got a new boyfriend. You know, everything's great. I'm happy. I'm sleeping well. And it was just like, I, I don't know. I don't think anything changed. I don't understand why you got this. And it wasn't until like the third visit that we were, we were, I was doing some rehab with her and we were chatting and I was asking about her new man yeah. and, uh, and she was telling me how great it is. And I said, you know, does it, does it hurt when you're sleeping on that side? Because, you know, trochanteric pain syndrome is vulnerable to compression. Yeah, yeah. And she said, yeah, it's really bad because with my ex-husband, I always slept on my left side. Okay. And now with this guy, I always sleep on my right side, and it's killing me. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, there's there's the thing that changed, you know. And, and so, when with your question about why can some people do it and some people yeah, can't, yeah. Like, there's so many different so many different aspects. But sometimes, an an injury with running isn't a running injury. Does that make any sense? Like she had yeah. pain when she ran, mm. but it had nothing to do with like the causative factor. It had nothing to do with running. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's so many different factors. And, and obviously, like again, if you look at your heart rate variability, if you look at a questionnaire, if you look at your acute to chronic workload ratio, none of that is going to pick that type of thing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just a lot of variables. So I think as a clinician, you just have to be very fastidious in, in figuring that stuff out. But again, if, if I were to go bring her on the treadmill and watch her run and figure stuff out, like as far as, oh, you know, your cadence is a little bit low or, you have a little contralateral pelvic drop. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't yeah, a running yeah. base. Wasn't a running base problem. And I think the problem that a lot of clinicians run into 
is, uh, is they get fixated on that, on the biomechanics and the strength and, and whatnot. But it, it's fine to do that, in my opinion. I'm, I'm not, you know, the expert, but I think it's, I think it's fine to, to change someone's gait in an acute situation. If you have, like, if you have chronic exertional compartment syndrome, I mean, there's pretty good evidence that it's okay to switch to a four-foot strike. It offloads that, that aspect, right? I had a peroneal tendon problem um, a couple months ago. And for a couple weeks, I had to switch to more of a rear foot strike, and it offloaded the peroneal tendon. But if you're going to change your biomechanics based on an injury, you have to understand that that you know tissue like tissue stress doesn't go away. You just move it around. Mm-hmm. You're just moving it from one tissue to another. So if you're going to take somebody, you know, with uh, with chronic exertional compartment syndrome and switch them to a four foot strike, you're dramatically increasing the load on the Achilles and the calf, and you're now putting that runner at risk of another injury because that's what causes most injuries, right, is an yeah. acute change in the external load to a point where your body doesn't have time to adapt to it. So I think you really have to be, you know, really judicious in making gait changes, um, not only for that reason that you're, you're you know, you're, you're putting some other tissue at risk, but also, you know, the confidence aspects of telling somebody that they've been running wrong I think uh, I think there's certain psychological aspects of, of that, you know. I, I, I had I had a couple of patients a couple of years ago where I, I, every time I change something, I say, "Look, at I think you're a really good runner. We're just going to change this one thing." Mm. And in the same week, two different people came back, and they had running injuries. And I said, "Did did we ever check your running when you came in years ago?" And both of them in the same week said, "Yeah, you said I was a terrible runner." Mm. I was like, "I know I didn't say that." Mm. But that's their that's the way they interpreted it. Yeah, so I think yeah. we have to be careful in, in things like that. You know, that's massive. I mean, that's that could be a whole hour on yeah the way that patients don't hear what comes out of your mouth. Yeah, um, it depends on the words you use. They'll totally translate it. And it's true. Um, just a shout out because just for people who are listening, um, if you do join us on the video recording, then you've got the benefit of kind of joining in the conversation, leaving comments. Um, just a shout out to Michael O'Connell, who's um, he's a uh, put up a comment here saying first time listening to the show as a new therapist fantastic i love the fact the new therapists are actually tuning in that's one of the big audiences we're hoping to help with this podcast uh, loving it so far it's even better uh, very interesting points much appreciated so thanks michael for joining us it's really good um, it makes my day when i know that i'm introducing new therapists to stars like kevin it's good um do spread the word and do make sure you come back next week even if Kevin disagrees. He said he's not a specialist just then. I let that fly. I'm no specialist. Oh, if you're not, I don't know who it is. <laughs> but anyway, Michael, yeah, thanks so much for uh, writing that comment. That's great. Um, where, you... where I come down on where I fit on this is like if, if I watch the running, the, the Run Chat Live conference, you've got all these big hitters up there. You've got Ian Griffiths talking about orthotics, and you've got Simon Bartold on shoes. And you got Izzy Moore on gait. You got Derek Griffin on psychosocial aspects of it. And as clinicians, you know, do you ever see those in the game shows? They have that clear phone booth thing, and there's like it's like a cash volcano, and there's like a fan at the bottom blowing money all around, and they have to like grab the cash. That's kind of what you feel like as a therapist listening to all these experts. You're just trying to grab whatever you can grab from their knowledge, and then you somehow got to pull it together. You know, and I think the load capacity thing tries to do that. Just pulls like it all together. I, need, I feel like I need you to lie down on a couch 
and I'm just going to talk to you for a while and kind of build up your confidence. I don't know what's happened to you. You're a recently married man. You should be sitting on top of the world. I know what's happened, mate. You're there with them. Don't put yourself this silly. I'm talking about the, I mean, those guys do research, you know, and I, I, I think clinicians have to get their knowledge from research is what I'm getting at. Yeah. It was great having it, but that was the crossover. It was lovely listening to someone of, um, Izzy Moore, for example, who's a fantastic yeah, great. researcher, yeah. but she's not in clinic so much. and She admits herself. I don't yeah. think she likes people much. I think <laughs> in typical <laughs> researcher form, I think she quite likes to lock herself away with just a treadmill and maybe one person who's been invited in, a student, who yeah. to be there. Um, and then she'll go make some cakes. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, by her own admission, she's out of the kind of actual clinician world because she doesn't want to be there. So it's it's all very well being a specialist in something, but we do need to all get together and talk and share to be able to, you know, get the whole yeah. picture. So that was the super idea. Smart, though. Everybody at that conference yeah. was just, well, like I say, dude, smart. if you're around, um, end of October for the part two, then if you're there yeah. and I can yeah. pay you enough, then, uh, hopefully we'll put the two together <laughs> and we'll be able to get you over there. It'd be great. I mean, uh, that was one of the beautiful things about the conference was just having you guys meeting each other and shaking hands and like, mm-hmm. you know, Derek Griffin shaking hands with Christopher Johnson, even though they live, I don't know how many, 10,000 right. miles apart yeah. or something. It's great. It's cool. I liked, uh, Chris, I if you're still listening, I loved your haircut. It was really good. Christopher Johnson? Yeah. His haircut? I think I, I, think <laughs> I, I made mirror that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can get that. Christopher Johnson was lovely to see in person. What a fantastic guy. Uh, so passionate. Um, and yeah. it was great. Really nice. It's yeah, really you can tell. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Anyway, so, oh, Jesus, look, it's, it's three minutes to nine already um i'm gonna to have to turn this lounge back into a matrimonial place to relax after the kids in bed in three minutes and clean up the yogurt on the floor oh, just tell me about it i just haven't bothered but um the yogurt i like that it's nice we call it yogurt but of course yeah your neck of the woods oh yeah it was an H. Yeah. Okay, so look, um load versus capacity. We've drawn attention to the fact that load is not just about how far you run or how fast you run. Well, how often you do it, there's a load of other factors um, and potentially the internal factors, the ones which runners don't think about in terms yeah. of trying to measure their loads. So that's great. Yeah. We've but, talked about know, measuring it. Last, you want to chuck in? One last little thought on that. Yeah. The, the great thing about that load capacity thing, and again, you know, it's not like I developed it, but it, it, it's really good at looking into the past to explain why people got injured, right? Because it's, it's an imbalance in that. So that's the past, but then you can still use the load capacity aspect for the present to say, look, at, we're going to calm it down by lowering that load a little bit, but if you leave that load down too long, the body is great at adapting, so that means the capacity is going to drop, and we don't want that. So we want to do rehab to increase the load gradually in a controlled way to start increasing the capacity, right? Mm. And then it's also great for the future because you can say, look at how are you going to stay injury free or at least reduced risk of injury? Mm. You're going to keep that load high by continuing to do the rehab, by running consistently and not having big gaps in your runs and whatnot. And so it's great at you know looking at the past, the present, and the future. I think it's it's an all encompassing thing. Mm. And you think things are moving in the right direction then? You've mentioned the research, and, and it's, it's, I think it's, it's looking quite healthy at the moment. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I mean, everything has holes, right? I know, I know Tim Gabbett's acute to chronic workload ratio has 
come under a lot of scrutiny lately for yeah. for good reason. It's not all encompassing, but it's a yeah. start. But he's quite happy for that. Yeah, I mean, I think I listened to him. Who was he on? He was with Ian and Craig. Yeah, he, I heard him talking to them on Podchat Live, and yeah, I think um, they talked about that. Like, what mm. do you think about the scrutiny you've come under at some convention they went to? I think in switzerland or somewhere and he was like no it's fine it's great it's what it's all about it's, we need that we hold right, everyone yeah, just yeah. nodded like a puppy dog so yeah um he's coming over to the uk as well so um in oh he's coming over for tom gooms have you seen tom goom is now doing a running chat conference as well is he <laughs> yeah i didn't know so, that so yeah so i've been off of twitter so uh yeah well this is the thing i'm very happy about that um because it gives me a chance to poach some of his guests, which is great, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's in May as well. So we've already talked on Twitter. It'll be a really healthy way. Perfect. Uh, who's he got yeah. coming over? Ian, obviously, because Ian lives down the road. So Ian Griffiths will be talking. Uh-huh. He's got um, Alex Hutchinson coming oh, over. Perfect. Which is going to be wicked. Yeah. <clears throat> and I uh, oh, just going to say goodbye to Christopher Johnson. Um, who's got the comments up here on the uh, mirror? Bald, wise dudes. <laughs> he's so cool. Yeah, Chris, he's off for a two-hour kicker session, so that's fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate it. I know you're a busy man with life, work, and family, and keep putting everything out there, Chris. It's amazing. When I normally catch you when I'm kind of like trying to put a little one to sleep, but um, yeah, fantastic. Oh, Chris Kitson is also hosting Tim too. It's true, I think, with Mike Grice. So, um, have you been to the UK? can't remember have you been out here recently i've been to the uk but not for uh not for professional purposes okay well we'll, we'll try and change that we'll try and get yeah. you over in october that'd be great and um, that'd be fantastic i definitely want to get you as one of the international speakers um so that'd be good what's uh just to finish off what have you got coming up in the next month or two months what are you working on what's happening um i've got another video that i'm uh, getting started on so it'll be a couple months before that comes out but uh lots of teaching for the running clinic and then just uh you know my clinic everyday life yeah and yeah. um are you allowed to tell us what the video is on is it going to be a kind of a bit of a cliffhanger no it's going to be on neo okay yeah all right I do love your videos. I do recommend. I'm quite visual as well. And um, like I said, the video on the Craig's test is there. Or the videos and your content, is it scattered around? Or where's the best place to go? It is scattered around. It's a bit, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, I've kind of switched platforms a little bit. But most of them are on Vimeo under running reform. That's where I keep most of them. Is that the best place to go to, is it? Yeah. Have you got any plans to kind of group them together? Because after being on this show, you're going to be a bit more of a star. So (laughs) (laughs) how are you going to react uh, yeah, I'm starting to put them on YouTube now. Or, okay. Yeah, because YouTube, I think I think YouTube sort of gets better exposure than Vimeo. So, well, we mentioned at the conference, it's the biggest search engine. Um, uh, Jack Chu was kind of saying it, it's the biggest search engine out there. Most people Is are it using really? it now, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something. So I'm making the transition over to that. That'd be wicked, mate. Because it's worth it. Your videos are fantastic, and I Thank hope you. that uh, yeah. And if people want to contact you, what's the best way? Is it an email or on social media? Uh, at Running Reform on Twitter is is a good way. <laughs> is that there now going to be the place to catch you? Is it? Yeah. And then uh, and then the email is uh, it's just contact at runningreform.com. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'll make yep. sure um, that that they are put in the notes, and we'll add it to the. Perfect. YouTube video afterwards. Um, the time's gone so quickly, mate. And I tell you no, what, I appreciate it. It's good. Um, in terms of drawing people in tonight, it's been like an A-list party without a doubt. 
Um, we've had Mike James in here, Christopher Johnson in here, Susanna Rogers, who has fantastic yeah. content. She's coming yeah, in as well. Yeah, she does. Um, uh, fantastic following Susanna. I love the stuff she does. She said, just for the benefits of the podcast listeners, Susanna yeah. Rogers said, but you're a big hit, Kevin. I really appreciate <laughs> how well you translate the research to understandable words. So that's my sentiment as well, mate. You are well uh, respected Thank you. out there. Thank you, Susanna. So, yeah, it's great to see you and Susanna um, and also Chris Kitson. Thank you very much for joining us and Terry Vaughan and other people who would have to scroll back. But yeah, great to see you all in here. Um, Kevin, I'm going to say thank you and yeah. I'll be again. I will be back. Don't go away. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I'm just going to sign off here. Awesome. I'll, um, yeah, that'd be great to chat to thanks, you. Thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, fun. no, thanks very much. We'll talk again right. in a couple of minutes. Okay, mate? Yep. Right, brilliant. What a lovely bloke. Oh, I love modesty. I know what it is. Um, but it's fantastic to hear someone who is so have got so much information and experience to help both runners and clinicians and yet they're still praising others which is great to hear so thank you so much to kevin mags um like i say i'm gonna now see what we can do i will be trying to get kevin over um for the run chat live conference 2020 which will be happening at the end of october I've still got to finalise the date. Definitely, um, it will be happening. I've just got to finalise which um, Thursday and Friday it will be on. I've had this crazy plan, actually, maybe, of, of doing it on a Thursday, Friday down south in the UK and then heading to the north for a Saturday, Sunday repeat. Um, it's something I've talked over with a few people. Um, might be especially useful for international speakers coming over to do kind of like a four-day thing instead of two days. And it means that people from the north of England or people who find it easy to fly to the north or have family there will be able to join us. So that's in. if you've got any comments on that, whether you're a therapist or a speaker who wants to get involved or a runner, then let us know. What do you think about a north-south repeat Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday up north? Um, and also, if you've got a place up north where you'd like to be involved and maybe even host it, probably around Manchester somewhere, then, um, uh, yeah, get in contact with me as well, matt at runchatlive.com. Right, I need to vacate the premises. As always, this has come to you from my house um, because it's 8 p.m. here. It seems to be a happier time to get people involved. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, oh, I need to tell you, normally I haven't got a clue who's coming on next week, but I can tell you now who is going to come next week. Um, we've mentioned him, not next week, next month. Um, I've mentioned it already. Um, I'll give you the actual date because we've managed to actually put something in the diary. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that sound effect to happen. Here we go. So um, on February the 13th, and Thursday, February the 13th at 8 p.m. UK time, uh, Mr. Alex Hutchinson is going to be our guest on Runchat Live, which I am absolutely um, very, very happy about. Um, we're going to be talking about him coming to uh, Tom Goom's May conference in London. And also, well, what isn't there to talk about with Alex Hutchinson? Um, we've talked about his book, Endure. I've been a fan of Alex's for years as well, uh, since, well, as long as Kevin. Um, he's, again, one of the people who changed my um, career, changed my looks. Um, I'm putting Kevin in the same kind of group there, so that'll make him feel very embarrassed. But, um, yeah, so I'm really excited. So uh, put that in your diary. Uh, February edition of 39 will be with Alex Hutchinson, which we're very excited about. Um, and then we're hoping to get Tom Goom on as well. I'd love to get Tom. I've got to pin him down. He's a very busy man, but I'd love to have an hour with Tom as well to talk about the conference. 
So, Tom, if you're listening to a replay of this, then, uh, yeah, sort our date, mate, and we'll get together and we'll talk about what you're hoping to get out of the conference and what you're doing lately. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, as always, leave comments. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Like I say, YouTube's real powerful now and getting the word out there. So I put a few links on my social media. If you want to support us, um, then that would be great as well. Um, thanks for joining us live. Thanks for tuning in and listening to podcasts if you are listening to a recording. Um, and we'll see you uh, next month. Thanks very much. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.